All right, there we go. We're recording. Joshua Rodriguez, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm uh, really excited to have you on pretty much ever since, uh, you know, caught a glimpse of your Twitter page. And um, yeah, ever since I found out about you, wanted to have you on the show. I actually, I, I don't know if you saw, but last month I actually talked to uh, Mike Termot, who's uh, running for president this cycle as well. Don't know if you've had any interaction with him, but uh, uh, you yeah. know, good guy. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, good guy. And I, I know you got you guys are doing a forum with uh, Larry Sharp, I think, next month. Is that right? Yep. Uh, February 16th, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. Man, that's going to be a good one. Um, definitely going to have to to listen to that one. And, you know, just, you know, as a guy that's got a bit of a, you know, a smaller podcast, I don't have the biggest podcast in the world. But, you know, getting to talk to two guys like like y'all that are running for president um is just is just awesome man so i really do appreciate you taking the time yeah i love doing these types of events uh your episodes are are fun to listen to so uh, i definitely recommend folks to 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 start listening to some uh some of your uh, episodes they're great well thank you thank you and and how is the campaign trail uh treating you so far is your schedule like super hectic yet or do you have some time before it gets just real crazy um you know, it's, it kind of fluctuates a little bit, uh, you know, this month, you know, I have uh, four interviews and, you know, we have that forum coming up and then we have some, um, more libertarian, uh, uh forums in uh, March as well. So, um, those sorts of things are always fun, but, you know, it's always like constant election years, uh, with candidates and stuff like that. So if I'm not campaigning for myself, I'm definitely out campaigning for, uh, other folks and helping them get elected. And so I, you probably hear that a lot. So I think even, even though I'm running for president of the United States, you know, there's, there's so much going on uh, just at home in, in your communities that uh, you can get involved with every day. Not, not necessarily just politics, but, you know, uh, youth gun violence or, you know, mental health issues from our young people, like uh, lots of uh, education type uh, meetings and, as a parent, you know, you're going to like uh, parent teacher student conferences and participating in the, you know, parent teacher student association, those sorts of things. So definitely keeping busy, lots of, lots of stuff to do. Man, I, I definitely don't don't envy you. I don't know where I don't know where you guys find the time to do just everything that you do. What I mean, what what does your uh day-to-day schedule look like right now i mean is it is it mostly just like going on different shows and, and attending meetings like you said or is there any more you know what what does what, what like an average week look like for you at this this point in the process i mean i were something like 16 months away from the libertarian convention something like that yeah i know that that's exciting to hear and uh it's going to take a, a lot of networking to you know get votes um during, you know, during that convention, you have, to, you have to gain all those trusts and votes from libertarian parties all over the United States. Uh, for me, it's, you know, family, it's work, and uh, lots of uh, social media networking and stuff like that, and spending time uh, setting up forums. But, you know, I, I got invited to the university to speak about climate change. So we had a, a climate change forum where, you know, the university invited me for a uh, youth-led uh, event, and so, you know, you, you speak at those types of events, and so you kind of, like, fill up the day pretty quickly, but uh, definitely try to find uh, at least more family time than I do uh, 
as much as possible because work i can work 70 hours a week doing uh you know chemical engineering stuff so oh yeah and you you've always been pretty uh pretty involved in your community from what i understand i, I know you've run for office a, you know a couple times in the past but even from like a like a really young age you were involved in like community service and and, and non-profit work right what was uh what was what was that like? How did you get involved in doing that kind of work? You know, so early. Yeah, I think it's just a millennial thing. I think most most millennials kind of have like that volunteer spirit. So mm-hmm. you're, you're when I go spend my money, I like to spend my money at businesses that have a nonprofit component to it. But you know, I was raised Christian, and so we I've always done a lot of nonprofit work. So you know, we dropped off food for moms that you know, couldn't afford food. And, uh, you know, I, I remember going with my family to drop off boxes at, you know, people's homes and, you know, seeing those, you know, those mom's faces, like, you know, thank you. This is very appreciative, those sorts of things. And so I think my motivation now, cause I've been a nonprofit operator for quite a number of years, um, benefiting at-risk youth. And so I'm kind of, you know, establishing that now, you know, nonprofit work as a young age, but now, you know, you're actually doing it legitly and, and passing that on to you know my family, you know my kids, you know, so they're getting influenced. Um, but you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in people's communities nowadays. You know, you, I participate as a you know community emergency uh, on the community emergency response team. Mm-hmm. So I'm FEMA certified, and so if there's a natural disaster, you know, those teams go out and do that search and rescue, you know, mass casualty events, those sorts of things. A lot of training and certification associated with that. So there's ways for people to get involved. And so I do those sorts of things and it, it just really just helps me educate and uh, it definitely keeps me busy, but it's just, just a lot of uh, stuff that I like to enjoy doing. Yeah. It's also, uh, you know, that, that kind of work is it like, like it, you know, it is a lot of work. It can be very time consuming, but it's also very fulfilling. You know, I think like, like I, you know, I work, you know, my day-to-day jobs in finance, I wouldn't necessarily say that, you know, like, you know, every day I leave the office being like, oh, I've, you know, accomplished something great today. But like with with that kind of community service, you do get that feeling that you are genuinely, you know, helping people out. And, you know, you're making a difference in, in your community and in people's lives. It's just it's it's a very fulfilling thing to do. And it's something that I think, you know, that 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 feeling I don't think a lot of people get through um you know just just regular day-to-day work it's just you really feel like you're accomplishing something good for the world when you get involved in in, in work like that yes yeah, it's, it's definitely a fulfilling uh opportunity and you know you say that you work in finance but while you're doing these types of episodes you know you're on social media you're reading up on current events you know that's important too like you become the expert and and everything and so i you know i've listened to a lot of your episodes and so you're a very knowledgeable person and so that's kind of like where i'm at right now you know gathering knowledge so when i go to community meetings knocking on doors campaigning you know i'm i'm really trying to get a better understanding of the world around me when the parkland shooting happened in 2018 um, I participated in the jefferson county school safety task force so Mm -hmm. i worked with columbine survivors law enforcement, school administration, mental health professionals. And we examined every aspect of school safety and and wrote up a report. When COVID hit and there was a lockdown, you know, people were basically starving 
they had no food, they lost their jobs, it was a mess. And so I participated in Jefferson County uh, Food Safety Security Task Force. So, and my nonprofit delivered over 5,000 pounds of food. And so that team also created the first ever 211, you call 211, you can find free food now, local to you within the state of Colorado 24 seven. And so, you know, there's, there's opportunities out there, but you're, you're getting knowledge and you're sucking up knowledge as you go along. So when I ran for mayor 2018, you know, I started getting involved in, you know, um, the land, the, the, the city wanted to do a land de- development code update. And so I, I was, uh, participated in that. So I'm an expert in like affordable housing and zoning and stuff like that in 2020, you know, I ran for United States Senate. And so you start developing skill sets of you know federal policy and you know worldwide topics you know so while you're doing all these episodes and speaking with other folks you're 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 becoming you know somebody that's important you're you're building knowledge and so you know even though you do finance you know what you do is absolutely important too so well you know thank you and i mean that is you know it's 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 a big part of why i do it i mean i I, I feel like I've definitely learned a lot from, you know, all the different people that I've talked to and they're all from, you know, a lot of them are, you know, libertarians, but a lot of them come from different walks of life. And, you know, what you learn from these interactions you have with people, whether it's, you know, talking to them on a podcast or, you know, getting out in your community and working shoulder to shoulder with people to try to make a difference, you know, you take all of those interactions and your experiences with you, you know, like I imagine you have, you know, running for mayor or Senate and now president, it's like you, you're constantly building upon, you know, the knowledge you have with all these other people's experiences and needs and, and interactions. And it, it, you know, it, it changes who you are and it changes how you approach something like running, running for president of the United States, I have to imagine. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of listening. Um, you know, when I first started campaigning, you definitely go through those stages of like having to listen, to understand, you know, I'm at a point now where, you know, I've listened and I, I just have a vision. And so I'm ready to like take that vision and run for president and kind of keep moving it, moving us forward type thing. You know, but as a libertarian, you know, I tried running uh, under the Republican ticket and the Democrat ticket, but I failed completely. You know, I couldn't get support from those um, entities because, you know, it's it's hard to believe in, in one concept, especially with a, as a Democrat. You know, Democrats, they don't want you to be pro-Second Amendment, right? Mm-hmm. And then if you're running for, as a Republican, you know, you can't say, oh, let's end all war, you know, because the Republican Party is all about the war machine. And so right. you kind of always get into those conflicts. And so... Uh, being able to be part of the Libertarian Party is so important for our communities. Right now, we have a we had a, a candidate that um, that got elected. Right, uh, I supported her throughout her candidacy. She she calls herself an abolitionist. She's somebody that was pretty prominent during the 2020 Black Lives Matter protests, mm-hmm. and she got squashed immediately. Right, the the, the Denver mayor you know, swindled another prominent, uh, you know, politician and she just got pushed out and there's a whole bunch of controversy associated with it. Right. Uh Um, But she wants to legitly abolish the police department. 
But now that she's elected as a Democrat, she wants to um, ban AR-15. So she's one of the three uh, legislators right now that has their name on this bill. You know, for me, it's like, you know, it, I do feel like there's an, an important, the important, it's important to have a police alternative. But on the other hand, you, you can't just sit there and take people's gun rights away. You know, your best defense is self-defense. Police are only really there to investigate. You know, they respond to violent crime. They don't necessarily stop it, right? Right. And so for me as a candidate, as a libertarian, it, it becomes that much more important. So I always encourage people to vote libertarian, of course, because um, the parties are just so divided right now. It's just... It's just it just doesn't make sense. Like what makes sense to me is libertarian. Right. And, I, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people feel that way. I feel like a lot of voters are looking for, you know, they, they don't fit super cleanly into the Democratic camp or the Republican camp. And they they feel like they've been forced into that duopoly and they don't really have any other choice. But that, that's why I feel like the Libertarian Party uh, is so important. And that's, that's why it's so important for, you know, guys like you and, and, you know, guys that I've had on the podcast before to run and give people that third option. Cause I mean, just, you know, just in the 15 minutes or so we've been talking, you know, you've mentioned things that would make, you know, both parties uncomfortable, right? Like you, you mentioned climate change and, and, and gun safety, but, you know, you also talk about the, the right to self-defense and the, and the right to own a firearm. And I mean, these are, you know, in in those two parties, just very polarizing ideas. And it just doesn't feel like, you you know, either of those two parties are a good space for people that are kind of more in the middle or or people that, you know, strongly value protecting people's uh, personal liberties. It it seems like the, the notion that personal liberty is, you know, at the top of the list for things that we need to preserve and protect for the everyday American, like you don't, you don't get that sentiment in either of the two main parties anymore. And it's really, you know, like, like as somebody who, you know, used to be a part of one of those two bigger parties, it, it's really been disappointing to watch. And I, and I feel like a lot of people have made that same, you know, uh, observation over the past couple of years, past couple of election cycles. Yeah, exactly. I, but I, you know, people listening there, you know, uh, public safety is a huge concern. And so that's like one of my priorities, right, is public safety. So when we start talking about abolishing the police department, it's really, in my opinion, to find police alternatives. So the Libertarian Party will say, you know, we should, you know, legalize recreational and medicinal uh, drugs. And so that would be a, a police alternative because now the, we don't need the DEA. So we just eliminated, you know, a, a, the DEA out of a scenario based on legalizing drugs. And we can try to find ways to do that. If you look at your local city like mine, the municipal judge came to city council and said, I am sick of presiding over, you know, court cases in the city council chambers. I'm going to quit if you don't build me a courthouse. You know, the city just built five sub substations. Called, they're calling it community policing, which is expensive, and they asked for a tax increase to do it. So now we have to deal with possibly a high consideration of a new courthouse. Like those officers are going to go into your community and start harassing you and pulling you over. And on top of that, the sheriff's department just 
you know, year after year asked for more money and, you know, citizens were like, no. Well, the sheriff's department is going in our communities, uh, pulling people over for money, right? right? So it just becomes like, well, what's the police alternative? Uh, well, you know, if you think about a police department in general, um, if you have a problem, you know, they're going to have qualified immunity. If you have an issue, you, you have to maybe do internal affairs, but who's going to re review the internal affairs report? The police chief. And right. then on the other hand, you have a mayor who has the autonomy and the power to control a whole police department. And so the police, you know, the municipal police department, in my opinion, should be abolished. But the, alter the police alternative in that case is creating a statewide police department, right? And so mm -hmm. you don't have mayors controlling. Um, oh, and on top of it, you would have to sue within a year. And, you know, that's not always difficult. But either case, if you try to find recourse, there is no recourse. You can't go to the attorney general for help. You can't contact the federal agency, right? The Department of Justice to help you. So you pretty much, you're just in a hard place. And so finding police alternatives, in my opinion, is, is just something that's important. I mean, you can have like a self-driving car. Maybe that will limit, eliminate a lot of getting pulled over, right? The car is driving, not you, right? So, you right. know, those sorts of things. So, so that's what I mean about public safety. So I know people are going to, might be listening and very concerned about that, but it's really just finding the opportunity for police alternatives. Right. And I, and I mean, I feel like that's something that, um, like the public has been more conscious about over the past couple of years. I mean, we could, we could sit here and, and, you know, talk about police misconduct all day. You know, there's no shortage of, uh, you know, situations, incidents that have occurred over the past couple of years that we could, um, you know, that we could point to. I mean, I'm from, um, you know, I, I'm from Memphis area. I don't like to say I'm from Memphis because I'm, you know, I'm from a town outside and people get real touchy about it, but <laughs> I'm from Memphis area. And, yeah. you know, o over the past week, it's been, you know, pretty big news. Uh, those five cops that, uh, that, that beat Tyree Nichols to death. Um, you know, they, they were fired a couple days ago. Um, and it was actually just released today that they, they're all being charged with, you know, second degree murder and um, along with some other uh, charges. And the video of, of his murder is going to come out tomorrow. And it's something that, you, you know, a lot of people have kind of been anticipating and waiting for and, you know, waiting to see what, what the what the aftermath of, of that video becoming public is going to be. And it's just. Every, every time something like this happens, you know, whether it's Tyree Nichols or, or George Floyd, or like I said, we could go on and on. Um, mm -hmm. Everybody just feels kind of kind of hopeless. Like there's no there's no recourse. There's no way for them to get accountability from, you know, the, the, their police officers. And, and, you know, like these these five guys were, were fired and they're being charged with the second degree murder. But there's so many other instances of cops doing something like this and not facing any sort of uh, any sort of repercussion. And it's just so it's very disheartening to see, you know, situation after situation where just like nothing, you know, n nothing positive seems to come out of it. Like there's no like you said, like repealing qualified immunity, like there's not really been any movement um, on that in a lot of places, like how do, how do we get to that point where we can start seriously talking about implementing, uh, you know, like, like you said, like police alternatives. Yeah. You know, I always go out to the community and knock on doors. I'm one of those candidates that, 
you know, I, I have my list, you know, I'm out knocking on doors, right? You know, they're going to choose the middle and you're going to target those folks. I'm the one that, you know, puts everyone in the list, the Republicans and the Democrats. And I knock on all the doors because, right. you know, I'm trying to reach those people and I'm trying to get educate myself. And you do get people that uh, put up, put the wrong party and now you're talking to a Republican or a Democrat and now you're in like a full on conversation. But, you know, I spoke to a Republican, for example, and they were like, you know, the DA now has, you know, what are they, what are they doing? He was concerned about, you know, them investigating people for no reason because they have nothing to do literally in some states because, you know, cannabis is being becoming legalized and stuff. So, right. you know, it almost becomes police harassment, false, you know, false charges kind of issue. And, you know, and he's leaning towards, you know, towards like abolishing the DEA, right? Like, what's the point of having that agency? Like, there's no reason for it, right? Right. And then I, and I, I hit him, you know, I hit him hard, you know, because, you know, a, Democrats would say, um, you know, look at our jail system, right? If there's not a prisoner there, you don't get funding. And so if your prison population declines, that sheriff's department is going to have to fire people. Right. You know, that's happening in my community right now. So that, you know, the sheriff's department asks for more money. So now they're harassing people, trying to get tickets to compensate, but people are going to have to get fired. And so, um, you know, in that example, they're saying, abolish the DEA, right? And you know, right now with the the FBI, those sorts of agencies, right? The Republicans are initiating the abolishment of the FBI. And so now you're starting to see, well, Republicans would say yes to abolishing the FBI. But when you start talking about municipal police departments, now it's, we can't talk about it. But you know, the Democrats will talk about it. So what's that middle ground and it's really a lot of what I've been saying, police alternatives. If you can target municipal police departments, that's an unnecessary agency. You move it to the state. That should be a state power. If you do that, you really do eliminate a lot of the issues. Um, but for me, though, you have to start with the school to prison pipeline. Um, and so that's kind of like where my, my head's at. A lot of youth-related issues, you know, trying to figure out how we fix our next generation. If you look at that generation in particular, you do have systemic issues. You know, someone smart said, let's have standardized testing and education. Well, uh, Latinx kids scoring the 30 percentile historically on those tests, the average is 50%, right? Like these kids are failing completely for years and years and years and years. The standardized testing is saying, pointing at it, but no one's doing anything about it. And so, um, and I, I looked at surveys during 2020 uh, when they did the lockdowns and they had virtual schools. And what I found was they sent out surveys. I looked at the data and the, and the data said, hey, do you guys like at-home schools? Well, the, the population or, you know, online, the population that said yes, 100%, like 89% were blacks. And that's an indication that they don't feel comfortable having their kids in school. And so if we can create like, you know, a school choice alternative, a virtual school, right, online learning for kids, you know, these kids right now are, you know, they, they might, you know, be poor and their rent gets hiked up and now they're moving to a new school. So they're moving to a new school, maybe there's a behavioral issue. And so to stabilize those kids, 
you you have an uh, an option for them to do virtual learning. And so they're consistently getting educated. They're in a safe place. And when they're stable, maybe they, they find their way back into the, you know, uh, a school system. But if you look at Latinx kids in, in particular, you know, a, a lot of those kids do ha are, have parents that migrate for farming and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so those kids will be dumped into school, low performing, move to another school, low performing and systemic. So if you can have an opportunity to stabilize those kids as well, you just basically hit two groups that can have stability. And you also limit their interaction with police. And so right. you're starting at an early age there. And I think that would be profound impact. I think it would help out the systemic issues with Latinx learning and, you know, communities that uh, do move a lot. And so I, I think that's a good start. Um, and it's something that I'm kind of interested in doing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it definitely sounds like something we should be putting um, more focus on. I mean, it's trying to take those kids that, that don't perform as well in the system that we have now and, and changing the system in a way that that would benefit them and prop them up and you know, address a lot of the issues, you know, that you are talking about would, you know, would, um, would, would like a really good school choice bill or something along those lines, would that be, you know, you think maybe a good way to kind of start that process of trying to, trying to help those kids out? Yeah, I think Republicans would, would be interested in my ideas. Democrats wouldn't, right? So it goes back and forth, you know, when you say, when you say school choice in any matter, you're really, you're really pulling the strings on Democrats, right? Right. And I, I think overall, what you do is you truly, 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 uh, the money follows the student. And so you have school districts right now, and this is always going to be a debate, you know, all the money went to those school districts. You know, we do have public charter and public, you know, the public institutions, but they bought the school buses. And so and this is, you know, you get in fights all the time in politics, but we have like the transportation department, those are elected officials. And so uh, Democrat got elected. And so charter schools, public charter schools don't have buses. Mm -hmm. And so, you know what they do, they take a route away, fast transit route that's being utilized by a public charter school. So now those kids really can't find a way to school, right? The right. school district doesn't want to give up the buses, the buses, it's theirs. You know, even though this, you know, the kids actually paid for it. So if you can give those dollars to students, if they have, if they're literally having issues, but they shouldn't have to leave their school. There should be a system in place where, you know, if there is an issue, we can deal with it. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen with the police department, right? But they could move, take their dollars to an online school. They could move it to, um, you know, a private school that fits the needs of their kids and their moral values that has transportation, you know, but right now, if, if there's a low performing school and you're Latinx, I'm poor, right? right? I can't drive my kid to school or to a different school. They're stuck there. And so that's, yeah. that's the issue right now. And then if you say, well, this, this public charter school is outperforming you tenfold, which happens, you need to give up those buses. No, we won't give them up. And so right now in particular, if I open up a, a school that's going to perform, right, you know, mm -hmm. science and technology school, it's going to be great. 
I'm, I'm going to get, once I put my, pu- my public charter school application in, boom, school district sues you. You have to take it to court. They lose. They know they lose. They still sue you and it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever, right? And so that's oh, their yeah. scheme right now to stop that from happening. And so it's a huge, complex fight. Huge. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned, um, mentioned just a little earlier that, you know, that you've been, you know, you've been going to these meetings and these forums and you've been knocking doors and talking to voters and everything like that. When you, you know, when you, when you lay it out like that, is, is this an issue that you're finding really resonates with, with voters? I'm I'm sure, like you you know, it's very polarizing, right? Whether you're talking to a democratic voter who would be very anti uh, school choice or a Republican that might be very pro, you know, I'm sure it varies, but like, is this something that you're finding some, some broad support for when you go and talk to voters? Oh no. Um, I, I would compare that topic uh, on a, like, let's say an online forum somewhere like Facebook or something to talk, trying to talk about abortion or safe injection sites. That's how polarizing it is. Um, because right now, if you take any money away in any shape or form from that traditional public school, they can't operate. And now, you know, now it's teacher pay issue. And so it's almost like a want you, we either abolish all charter schools or abolish all public education completely. Like there's no, you know, there's no middle ground. And so right now, just because of the low population and low birth rates and communities not, you know, like my community right now, 60% of the community is retired. That's the whole state. We have low birth rates. We have high rates of teen suicide. We have, you know, higher rates of youth gun violence. And so the, and then, you know, Gen Gen Z's are under attack pretty much. And so when my kid was uh, in second grade, she was with third graders and they were split and you know the education became an issue and so what happens if you take more kids away we have like third and third and fourth graders together there and so it it just becomes a mess so it's very it's very it's a hot topic for sure one that normally you would just stay away from (laughs) yeah you wouldn't talk about it right well is there a way you think that maybe we could we could shift public opinion of that? I mean, is it, you know, like, is it doing more outreach and talking to more people about, you know, like educational alternatives or like how, how could you get that? Because you know, it's hard to imagine that, that we make any progress on this issue unless public opinion starts to turn, you know, the other way. I mean, is it, you know, is it too toxic right now to even have any hope in that or? Uh, yeah, I think what you would start with, you would, I think for me, a goal would be to really focus on the high school years. And, you know, in my opinion, you move down the federal work limits to age 13, mm-hmm. right? And then what you do is you, you have the graduation um, goal set at 16. And so you have like this hybrid virtual program for high schoolers. You start there. And then that would help out the school to prison pipeline issue because it's a safety net. You know, these kids might have behavioral issues, but they're not what they're they're focused on is college credits, trade school. So when you turn 16, you graduate. Now you go into trade school from 16 to 18. One of the bigger issues right now is Gen Z's entering the trades. 
46% rate, right? So 50% of that population do not go into trades. And in, mm-hmm. in your community right now, 60% are retired. So they're not getting trained. And what's the collateral damage? Housing costs go up like crazy. And, and I know in Florida, when you were talking to my cohort, you know, he, you know, something he was talking about, but really wasn't explained very well, or we didn't really hit the point. He was talking about, you know, in some states, there might be a limit on your land taxes in particular. So last year, your land taxes went up $100. This year, your land taxes went up, you know, a mo- $400 a month. Last year, $100 a month. This this year, it's $400 a month. That's significant because your houses are going up. You're getting taxed more and there's no cap on it. And so when you think about the next generation in housing, it's, it's not affordable. They can't get into housing. So now you have kids that are, are not performing in school because the kids that are filling in the birth rate, that group, are Latinx kids. And we, they're, they're low performing. So that impacts, you know, um, you know your nurses, your, your doctors, your future engineers, your trade workers. You know, they're, they're, they're not performing well. So it, in my opinion, it's like, boom. You know, teen suicide, youth gun violence, all those issues combined. It, Gen Zs are under attack. They really are. And so, like, I see it. I see all the issues. And it's just, it's all, like, piled up. Yeah. No, I definitely think you're right. And it's interesting when you talk about, like, um, I mean, like, like, we do have a very serious problem coming with, like, an aging population. And like you said, kids aren't really getting into into the trades as much. I mean, we've got a serious gap that we can like see ourselves approaching, but it doesn't really seem like there's any, you know, a whole lot of progress being made in trying to, to stop it. And it's very interesting lowering the, the federal working age to 13. I feel like that's, I feel like people might initially hear that and, you know, go, Whoa, wait a minute, you know, what are we talking about? But it, it, I mean, it does make sense to kind of speed up that, you know, that process for them. And then, you know, like you said, make it to where, you know, between 16 and 18, they can be, you know, like doing their training and getting ready to actually enter that trade. I think, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I have a lot of friends who work in the trades and everything like that. I think a lot of them would support something like that. I think a lot of them would agree that, you know, 16 to 18 for them probably would have been better used going ahead and, you know, getting the skills they need to enter the, the trade that they've chosen. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but I, I think I would just add, I think the goal would be you're an adult at, at 16. I know there's right. been a debate, like especially with New York, especially with people that um, enter into the, you know, the criminal justice system, you know, especially with males that, you know, they're, they're saying like, oh, you don't fully develop until 21. So really the age up to be an adult is 21. You know, I, I know when I was in high school, I played football intensely. I was the strongest at like 16, you know. And so I, I was working in construction, what in family construction businesses when, you know, I was 13, 16 every summer, you know. And so, but if you can accelerate it, I, I think we should go on the lower end, not the higher end. Because right now, Gen Z's do, are not entering the workforce. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I work in science and technology, you know. Uh, working with quants computers and those sorts of things and so the generation before me said hey here's a computer this is important and so my mom basically went bankrupt getting me a computer right an apple computer back in the day 
And so fast forward now, I'm working with quantum computers. Well, we built, you know, millennials built all this technology. Here it is, sensors, all this technology. It, you know, the next generation needs to be engaged to start using it, implementing it, finding ways to make processes more efficient, artificial intelligence, automation, those sorts of things. But if they're not entering the workforce, if we're not focusing them and educating them properly, and we talked about Latinx kids not performing well, and you know they're the next generation. You know where are we in the next ten years? You know more people are going to retire, 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 retire. And so if you think the United States economy, and it just this also lends very well into issues related to TikTok, right? Kids right. now are spending ten hours of their afternoon on TikTok. In China, yeah. you get like a half hour. <laughs> and so right. they're engaging kids, our youth, into a system and taking away their, their learning opportunities. So I'm not picking on China. I'm just using that as an example. You know, social media is more interesting than our next generation than it is focusing on, you know, um, what's going to be moving forward into, into the future and what's necessary for that. So, Right. And I feel like there's a lot of um, there's a lot of very interesting, like, tech news that I feel like a lot of people pick on like a like AIs, you know, all over the news right now. I mean, everybody's talking about it. There's all these different things like, um, Oh, what's the one it's like chat GBT or something like that. You know, there, there's things like that coming out that are, you know, that are real hot in the news and that people are interested in. And I think a lot of kids, you know, growing up, if they, you know, like that's something they could aspire to do is like work, you know, for a company that's developing AI and, uh, to kind of follow that that career path like that's something they could strive to do but like you said spending like 10 hours a day on tiktok is not good i, I saw a study one time where it, it was something like a like a majority of kids you know like they want to be content creators that's what they want you know their their career to be and you know i'm not you know i'm not trying to pick on that generation or anything it's just kind of what they grew up with but uh, being a content creator is not a realistic possibility for a lot of people. So why not push them towards something like, like a trade or working on something super interesting, like AI or quantum computing, like you're doing, how, how did you get into that? By the way, that's a, that's a very interesting field to be in working in. Yeah. Um, you know, I got, uh, I'm a scientist, so, uh, I have an undergraduate degree in biochemistry and a graduate school in, in chemistry, but um, you know, these jobs now, you basically just need technical experience. They, you know, this job in particular, they knew they couldn't find somebody to um, do the job. They needed someone to come on site and basically be able to, to perform. And, and I was able to do that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, quantum computers are not your traditional, you know, Google computer with, with, on a shelf, right? And you just have like thousands and thousands of these little boxes sitting in a server room. And that's, they call that a quantum computer. You know, these are using ion beams, which are lasers and shooting it through a crystal. And it's, and then they have the detectors that are reading the, the ions, basically hitting the detector. Boop, 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 boop. And that's your data point. It's not, it's no, it's no longer like necessarily like ones and zeros. You, you send out data that trickles down and then, that moves on and does a, a task separately. So it's it's not faster necessarily, but it's more efficient. Uh-huh. And so we're having companies, you know, that were building algorithms. They're like, they're calling it customer service data, uh, building algorithms and it, they're failing. 
go to Google, try your quant computer. You know, basically went to ours and it's performing well. It's scary though, like artificial intelligence, people get scared by it. In in, yeah. in, in kind of like the lower level, it, it like let's say someone, you know, someone walks through the door in a store, you know, there might be artificial intelligence that says, oh, one person walked in and it goes to a system and then maybe that system does something with it. And so that's artificial. And so if you can, and it's just trying to have some sort of process improvement. So if you're measuring something and you, you need a, the data goes in automatically. So that's artificial. Um, but, you know, there's a huge concern of how people's data are, are going to be used. Facial recognition system. Quant computers can legitimately be dangerous because you can build algorithms that can just crunch data beautifully. And so if we're not careful, right, in this data could be a big issue. And so we start thinking about the digital dollar and being able to take everyone's bank account and putting it into a nice algorithm and it just crunches it for you. And so my concern with those sorts of issues is Google right now is operating a quantum computer with the United States government. What they're using it for, uh, you, 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 it's hard to know, but you, you know kind of like where it's going. The right. Biden administration is really, 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 really trying to get those dollars. Federal dollars wise, over everyone's head, including yours and mine, is a $21 bill owed. And so the, the IRS is trying to get that from each and every person. So libertarianism just says, hey, abolish the IRS. That should appeal to a lot of voters. But it's, 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 it's huge because right now, $600 in like Venmo, the government's going to poke in that. How are they going to process oh, yeah. that data? What, like, what, you know, what systems are they they're using? Do they have the technology to do it and, and do it efficiently? Yes, they do. Yeah. And like you said, it's, you know, it's a very slippery slope. There's a lot of, you know, bad things you can imagine that sort of, that sort of data being used for. And this, I mean, this is something, like you said, I think you could probably find a fair amount of, uh, you know, bipartisan support for. I feel like most people at their core do just kind of want the government to, leave them alone for the most part, not poke and prod. Like you said, give people shit over like a $600 Venmo charge. You know, why, <laughs> yeah. why, why are we doing that? Like, I, you know, I like, I don't know. There, there should be a lot of people that are, that are furious about that and want to want to make it to where the government cannot do that. Yeah. I, I get in debates sometimes, especially when you're a candidate for that, you know, wearing the R or the D Oh yeah. If you look, especially with like climate change in the environment, you know, I spoke at the climate change for uh, climate change forum, and I think they just expected me to be like Green New Deal one hundred percent. And you know, I agree. You know, we made mistakes, and you know, researching reparations and uh, you know the issues related to indigenous people and the treaties we signed, like the whole nine. You know, I've studied the Green New Deal completely, but um, you know, when we look at things like oil in particular. And this is related to our, our youth education and, you know, what, what goals we should really prioritize. Right. You know, that's a finite resource. You know, uh, by 2050, oil is gone. You know, the population right now is 8 billion people. By then it's 10 billion, you know, and then it's going to increase exponentially. So we do have a lot of work to do. But, you know, the car battery, you know, the Tesla is, mm -hmm. is going to be 
gone. By 2050, we will consume legitly all the lithium. You know, that's a finite resource. We have no way to recycle it. You know, I've spent the time to go down to like, uh, you know, a battery manufacturer. They make solid state batteries. It's uh, in Colorado. I spent time to go down there and, you know, I see potential, but it really is, it's really the, the important part is lithium. So what's the alternative, right? Right. Um, by 2050, well, what's the vehicle now? You can't use gas. You can't have a car battery. The, you know, yeah. so the, the future really is like hydrogen powered um, engines. And so um, I'm a cryogenic expert. That's part of um, quantum computing. Um, when you send a, a, put a laser through a crystal, it heats up and you have to cool that laser and you have to cool it down to like negative 470 degrees. So Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. And so um, there, there's a, 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 yeah, I, a Blue Origin, I spoke to them too as well. You know, they, um, they're making hydrogen uh, uh, rockets that are hydrogen based. It's like helium three, right? Hydrogen, protonated hydrogen. So their goal right now, in, for example, is called a super fuel and supposedly there's a super fuel, like uh, a stockpile of hydrogen, you know, helium three or yeah, helium three on the moon. And so how do you mine the moon for this next generation super fuel, right? And so what they're going to do is build a, uh, a commercial space station. And then they're going to build a system to go out to the moon. And um, Jeff Bezos is funding this whole project out of pocket because, you know, he believes in that idea. Have you ever listened to it? So when you think about the next generation, where we're headed or should be headed, no one's talking about it, I guess. Um, you know, that's the direction we need to talk about. So um, so kids can, I think, get excited about space exploration and math and engineering. And so it could be fun. Um, but that we have to start really somewhere. Cool. Yeah, to see a resurgence of like interest in space exploration from these younger generations of kids, that would be awesome. Because yeah. that's something that I feel like everybody should be excited about. You know, the prospect of like going to other planets, going to the moon, like actually using the moon to benefit us in some way. Like that's a very interesting field that, you know, like, like that's, that's, something that you could push kids to, to, to aspire to, to work on. And, um, is there any, like, is, is there like a timeline on that happening or, you know, like an end date they want to accomplish, like building that up there? Or what are we working with? Yeah. The, the companies are, uh, building, uh, uh jet engines that use hydrogen power. And so that's mm-hmm. a, a new development. And so Blue Origin has tested rocket systems. SpaceX, I think, is, is working on a rocket system similar. We're far away. Um, but I, I think in, in the politics world, most people really do talk about um, more about like uh, justice issues and health related issues. And so you, you hear a lot of topics about like vaccines and and those sorts of issues and a lot of criminal justice issues, a lot of education issues really don't go very far. And, you know, of course, no one's going to go on Twitter and be like, oh, Teslas are obsolete. You know, I'm pretty sure uh, Elon Musk can go on there and go, Poof, you know, deregulate yeah. your account. Yeah, we can't have that. That's <laughs> that would not fly in today's Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's it's hard to talk about some things and some things just no one wants to talk about because it's just so debatable, right? Yeah. 
I feel like with any time you talk about like space too, like money comes up, you know, I, there are a lot of people that are excited about space exploration, but like the, you know, trying to fund that, I feel like becomes a big part of the, the conversation. But I mean, if Jeff Bezos and people like him are going to front the bill on this one, that definitely yeah. wouldn't be a bad thing. I think there's a good commercial application, right? You can just go up in space. Uh, you have a lot of ability to have no gravity. A lot of uh, a lot of the issues related on because it's it's a, a vacuum, uh-huh. vacuum space, those sorts of things. So it's it's pretty good. Um, but one of the things I've, I've been concerned about, especially as a presidential candidate, is um, you know, the issues related to vaccines and the source of uh, um, you know, the outbreak of the you know, was it China? Like, was it the CDC? Those sorts of issues. And so like right. in Florida in particular, and these are, these are topics no one talks about, but like, like when was the last time you've heard about Florida oranges, right? Right. The, the whole East coast is decimated with, has no Florida, you know, are no oranges groves in the whole East coast now because of a bacteria. Right. And you know, right, right when that happened, the, um, all the, orange trees died a university came out and says oh we were researching this we have a cure to this bacteria and and i'm just like seriously did you guys release the bacteria and and cause this issue because that was really quick you have the cure right yeah so topics related to health are like so important and it, it it becomes a complex issue so as a scientist i really try to um, research these issues and try to educate myself because there's a lot of conspiracies or misconceptions with a lot of things. And, you know, some people don't want to talk about it. So when we, as a libertarian, when you start talking about free trade and working with countries like Russia and ending war, it, it becomes a complex issue more so than education or social justice or your typical health insurance and stuff like that. So my goal is just to kind of like, really research topics and just become informed and so when you like when you start talking about like you know uh issues related in your hometown and law enforcement and what's going on staying on top of those toxic topics is like you know you know you become a leader in your community because you have the expertise and the knowledge behind it so it's it's been interesting but it's very contentious sometimes yeah, I can imagine it is. But but you are right that like gathering all of that information and just trying to be, you know, you know, very knowledgeable in these different areas and trying, you know, like like you said earlier, going to all these forums and meetings and things like that. I mean, that is something that you want to see out of somebody that's running for president. You know, we want somebody that's going to focus on um all of these important issues, regardless of, you know, like how sexy they are for the media to report or you know, anything like that, like the fact that you are taking that initiative and, you know, learning about all these things, I, I, I think that'll, you know, I think that'll attract a lot of people. I think that will, you know, people will look at that and be like, well, you know, this guy sounds like he could be president. Yeah. I, if, if we can capture the votes is, is the thing, you know, so I'm hopeful you look at uh, Gen Z's in particular, they, 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 they're trending conservative. And so um, they're going to vote independent for sure. So they're going to be a swing vote. Um, millennials actually are trending very liberal. They're like down into the liberal liberal area. So oh, um, it's it's likely that, you know, libertarians might have struggle with Democrats. But 
having like a, a younger candidate like myself, millennial might appeal to that, that age group. And so really for me, it's just kind of capturing the next generation. But when you look at like, um, you know, our, our black communities, you know, they should be encouraged to vote libertarian. If you look, if you look at the Latinx group, they should be motivated to vote libertarian because if you look at, you know, a, federal agencies like abolishing ICE, um, that should really appeal to them at, for a vote, more so than the, you know them voting for Republicans. Um, it, it becomes an issue with like border and and the Texas and those sorts of things. You know, like how do we protect the U.S. border in Arizona, Texaco, Texas, and California? You know, that whole area without putting you know policing the crap out of it because libertarians would would be at the point of saying, you know, oh, open up all the borders and uh, those sorts of issues. So it, 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 be, it becomes very interesting trying to think of solutions for, you know, solving those problems. Yeah. And, you know, I think, um, you know, like we were talking about earlier with, with health policy, I feel like that's another area where libertarians can make large strides because, you know, most, not all libertarians are pro-choice, but a lot of them are. And, you know, with Roe v. Wade being overturned and everything like that, that it's, it's still, I initially thought that, you know, talk about abortion would, would kind of wane off, among, you know, in the public and the media after, you know, a few months, but it's still very prominent in, in the news. And I mean, I've, I've talked to people just in my personal life that are still very concerned. I live in Texas, so People mm-hmm. here are like obviously concerned with the state of, you know, reproductive uh, freedom and everything like that, as they, you know, should be. Greg Abbott is doing some pretty crazy stuff, uh, you know, like offering $10,000 to people that like rat out their neighbors and for having abortions and shit. That's crazy. But like, you know, the you know, being pro-abortion, that's one area. And then, you know, kind of COVID, like we talked about, I feel like... Um, you know, like mask mandates and vaccine mandates really started pushing people onto that, that libertarian train. I think a lot of people kind of started to open their eyes to, you know, voting for a third party after that, because, you know, it's such a such an egregious attack on their personal liberty. So, you know, those two health issues right there, I think you could then, you know, you, you can get to people with that and then start to introduce them to some more, some more libertarian ideology especially with, you know, with regard to like healthcare and things like that. Yeah. I, I get hit a lot because um, there's a lot of conspiracies associated with vaccines that, you know, there's one initially when it first came out, you know, that, you know, the, those, you know, the government was building these tent cities almost and you would see people go in and never come back out. And so, mm-hmm. and they got hit with uh, the application of like 5g, right. You know, Oh, yeah. the, the radio waves are, are impacting your body. It's making you sick. And then, you know, there was a research study that got published. Hey, we can put green fluorescent nanoparticles in vaccines. And so this stays in your blood and now it becomes a marker. And so the vaccines have this marker inside of them. And so initially it was very, very, you know, I was concerned and my concerns were valid, right? As a scientist, I understand it. Mm-hmm. The, the mRNA vaccine, what it does is it goes in your body. It's a protein. Its job is to make proteins. Boom, 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 boom. And so it's taking energy from your body, like a radical, 
It's consuming energy. That protein it's making is an antibody, a copy of an antibody. And it's, ge it's genetically modified protein that's in your body. Um, proteins denature in your body after nine months. So if you ever get the vaccine, um, it should just go away naturally within nine months. But what happened was, I think it was Johnson's and Johnson's vaccine. They're like, oh, you only have to take one dose. And they were giving it to people and it, it was overdosing people. It was making too many proteins and it was causing blood clots in people's brains and people were stroking out. And there's this huge conspiracy right now that I believe is a valid concern of whether or not the vaccine is causing inflammatory issues. Is it causing your heart to be inflamed? Is it causing organs to be inflamed? And what's the collateral consequences of that? And so, and you know, the, the government's going to be like, ah, you know, you have the pharmaceutical company going, ooh, ah, I want money. You know, so it becomes a complex issue. But when you see topics about, it, you know, the libertarian's viewpoint in particular is you have a right over your body. The government shouldn't have any say. They don't talk about abortion. You know, they, they do talk about parental rights. And so, but they do a stipulation about child abuse. So, you know, gender affirming surgery is, you know, does that fall, you know, the Libertarian Party doesn't really talk about abortion. And I know in states in California in particular, you know, they have new laws about, you know, whether you can have, uh, you know, sex with a minor within 10 years. And then, you know, we have laws all over the United States. California is one where there is no minimum age for marriage. You can basically marry a one-year-old. And so it becomes this issue. Should the government regulate you know, marriage? Should it be puberty? Should we leave it open to the states and it's okay for them to allow people to marry someone below puberty? Those sorts of issues. So that, that those are all very, very hot topics to talk about for sure. Yeah, I yeah, definitely would not recommend bringing it up while like knocking doors and uh, <laughs> it wouldn't make, uh, wouldn't make for great, uh, great conversation with a lot of people. Um, no, it definitely wouldn't go over well with the public. I, I wanted to just kind of talk about something we mentioned um, a while back that, you know, didn't dive too much into. You know, you said you um, you attended the uh, Jefferson County uh, School Safety Task Force yeah, after the, the Parkland shooting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I live in uh, I live in San Antonio, which is about 80 miles east of Uvalde, you know, where they had their. Uh, school shooting and you know even even here recently in the news there's been uh, a handful of shootings in in California I was you know I was curious to know you know like what what your experience participating on that task force was like and you know what you think now that you're you know running for president what do you think are some some ways we could you know try to prevent this kind of gun violence yeah uh this goes back to, you know, not being able to run as a Republican or a Democrat, right? I, I do believe that I can solve school safety issues in school shootings. I think it's possible. And I think there's a, you know, if we can separate law enforcement out of the education system somehow, I think that would be a positive. I think it would be. Um, you know, in my community, we had four teens who made a chemical bomb and targeted a police officer. Right. And so they blamed student resource officers harassing them and they wanted revenge. We had another community member in my community that shot up the supermarket. 
he said that he was disgruntled against our police department. We had um, another police assassination where a guy came and you know assassinated a police officer, and you might heard about Tom Hurley. Um, he, you know, he stopped a shooter and then the police shot him. And so there is a component about school safety and law enforcement in that dynamic. And so I'm, I'm engaged to try to, to stop it as much as possible and finding solutions to do it. Um, but we have, we have to take a moment to realize, you know, law enforcement, they're scared. Like they cannot fight against the AR-15. You know, they'll respond to a violent crime, but they're, they're not helping you. And so th- that's an important of like understanding, you know, legislators who are, are trying to ban the AR-15 based on school shooting. If there's a misconception there. If you if AR-15 is pointed at you and you're like in a retail environment like Walmart and you're like way down in one section and there's someone pointing an AR-15 at you and they pull the trigger, you're, you're done for. That's how accurate right. it is. But um, – the people advocating to ban AR-15s are police department, are, are police officers. They don't want right. to deal with it. And so when the, you think about concealed carry and, you know, how do we stop, you know, a certain demographic from being able to carry guns, let's create laws. And so we really need to have this dynamic of, you know, if you're going to do something bad, everyone in the whole entire world in the United States is packing heat, you know? And so right. criminals... It, it's it's very legitly possible that crime will just plummet. It, you go down to zero, and so if we can start educating our, how educating you know civilians on civilians arrests, you know how to conduct a civilian arrest, your right to carry a firearm, those sorts of things, it it might help a lot. And so if you can really un, try to fix both issues related to school safety, you know school to prison pipeline. You know, kids right now are struggling with mental health and, and issues of youth gun violence. And so it, it's pretty interesting. It, it's just sad. Like, you, you know, the, the police chief at that elementary school in Texas legitly said everyone's dead in there. Meanwhile, they were getting 911 calls from a little girl saying, come get me. You know, I'm making the Ted. I'm dead. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, come get me. No one's coming to get her. And then basically everyone just passed away. You know, three people, three of the kids survived and, and they just passed away within hours because no one came in. And so um, it, it really leaves parents really highly concerned. You know, how do we protect our kids in an age where, you know, there's school shootings? From my experience, a lot of the violence that I've seen, I, I can legitimately associate it with being disgruntled against, you know, a law enforcement, being disgruntled against you know, an education system that might actually push kids out, you know, like, you know, you should really protect kids in a school environment. And so if they're having behavioral issues, you shouldn't find ways to create like this threat assessment program. Now they're on track to be expelled. What's going to happen to that kid? They're going to come back and shoot up the school. And so, and, and if you can't get them out, what's the next alternative? Oh, let's get police involved. What? Right. Like, where are we right now? If you're harassing yeah. every kid at the age 15, they're going to grow up and now they're going to be stuck in, you know, solitary confinement on death row. That's basically how we're educating our kids. Yeah. Like the problem just gets 
worse and worse. Like we, we do have to find a better way to treat those kinds of kids. Cause if you just, you know, if you just keep harassing them and, and, and making their lives hell, they're just going to keep walking down that, that path. And, you know, it, it doesn't lead somewhere good. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I do hope that we can, you know, kind of start to have a conversation about how we can bring all of these kids up. I mean, there are, you know, you know, children are some of our most valuable, you know, resource. I do, I do believe that. I mean, you want the youngest generation coming up to, you know, to be, well, one, you know, to be safe in places like schools, but also, you know, like markets and everywhere else. And, you know, you, you want to put them in a position where they can thrive and succeed. And I feel like our, our, our schools and just our, just our laws and everything are so restrictive that, you know, it sucks that a lot of those kids don't even really get a chance to begin with. Yeah. I, I like, uh, I, I always look at, um, you know, examples of like people that do have a high level of self-defense. And there was a study the CDC conducted that got basically taken away. You know, a, a Democrats were like, don't publish that, you know, don't tell people there was a million successful self-defense cases in, in America every year. You know, don't, don't show the benefits of it. But when you look at, you know, you know, city areas like what you were talking about, you know, Memphis is a huge concern. You know, right. could someone shoot a music video at a gas station and all eight of them get shot? You know, that happens all the time. And how do you stop those those people? Right from doing that and it's really giving those people the right to self-defense you know if you go into a supermarket you're gonna have to contend possibly with a store clerk carrying a firearm you know what's the likelihood of you going into a retail store with um someone who's carrying a firearm but it really it really goes back to the debate of you know police alternatives how do you protect your own community I think Florida does it well and 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 like they have gated communities, you can do a private police force, you can have, you know, um community watch program, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But when you start getting into contentious debates about school safety, you know, how do you really solve that problem because you don't want to send your kids to a, an institution. Kids don't like getting sent to institutions. You know, they right. sit there for eight hours a day, it becomes daunting. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to, yeah. You don't want to turn schools into like jails, you know, I mean that (laughs) you talk about something that, that definitely would not benefit the education system is, is that right there? School's grueling enough, man. We don't need to, we don't need to make it like they're, you know, getting checked in and out of prison, you know, like you want to keep them safe, but you, you definitely don't want to go that far in that direction. Yeah, and it's kind of odd how much money is pumped into our education system right now, and like where the where all the money goes, and just the just to fix all the locks. Like in when I was on the the task force, you know, we were talking about you know schools like Call of Mine and stuff like that. They you know they initially put locks on their doors, but the locks were on the outside in the hallway. So if you wanted to lock the door. You have to go in the hallway to lock the door. So now they're like, oh, we need to spend uh, $1.5 million to switch all the locks because we put them on wrong. Like, seriously? 
Damn. So you have all these issues, you know, and like kids going out the back door, you know, letting other kids in, and now the back door is open. Anybody can just walk into the school. Right. Uh, Florida's solution is, um, you know, you, you think of an elementary school, you have, you know, one officer on the south end in the parking lot, you have another officer car. On the north end, you have another officer on the main street when you go in. And so their solution is just over policing every single school. Mm. Every single school now is basically a fortress with security cameras and, you know, one way in one way out. So it's, it's, it's getting better, you know, but you know, in Florida, they're not, they're not necessarily playing around. They have to use police force to do it, but they're over, they're over policing it. They don't want, to uh ever have a school shooting and so they're trying to really move towards um fixing those sorts of issues but florida actually has one of the best education systems in the country right now a lot of kids are pretty high performing we also have a governor that's really pushing the idea of school choice and but they're not allowing uh really school alternatives you know you have your standard institution and that's what they're working on and they're really working on just one way could there be a way to allow kids to graduate like i said at 16 and have virtual programs that limit their association with having to move and their association with law enforcement as an alternative i i think that's uh where it should be heading and and florida i see that they have hybrid programs right now in high school where you take high school classes in junior high because you're you know you're scoring well you can do that and then you do hybrid in high school and now you can graduate at 16. oh that's interesting yeah so you have to research like all these different education systems and see which is really the best alternative and, and then, you know, really look at it from that, that aspect. Yeah. Um, no, that is really interesting. I wanted to know just kind of, as we start to start to wrap up here, are there any other, we, we, we've talked about a lot, but are, are there any other issues that like you're prioritizing in your came, campaign that we haven't really gotten a chance to hit on yet? And like anything you want to expand on? Um, the, the necessity of ending war, I think that's a big one for, you know, libertarians and, you know, in, in my, my idea is to, you know, w- within the first hundred days, you know, I want to cure HIV and then fix that issue. And then I think, it, we, I think I could do it within a hundred days and then focus on, you know, curing cancer. And so what we can do is really end war, move the whole world, world towards peace and really focus on topics that matter. I think we spend so much time, um, you know, with these building, like uh, San Francisco, the police department was like, uh, I want a robot that uh, can go in and kill a suspect. And the city council said, yes. Two weeks later, they, they, they take it back and they say, no, we don't want you to allow you to do that. But why can't we have robots that go in and neutralizes the suspects with non-lethal weapons? And so when you look at issues in Ukraine and uh, the Russian gate, right? You've heard about the Russian gate where Russia was meddling with uh, voter, you know, voters, voters, you know, voter issues with like Facebook and Twitter and 
and meddling with, uh, you know, campaigns and stuff like that. It wasn't true. But what happened now we're in a war, never ending war, you know, Afghanistan was 2.5 trillion. And now we're going to be on the, the, the on track to spend 1.5 in a world, a war with Russia. And so I remember all the weapons that countries were volunteering. The only one that, um, that I agreed with was, uh, South Korea. They wanted to send, they're like, Nope, we'll send non our, uh, super high tech, uh, non-lethal weapons you can, you can have. And Ukraine was like, no, nah, no, thank you. <laughs> like, seriously, like, so we're not finding ways to like do it the right way. We're finding ways to make it a bigger issue. And so I think that's one of my goals is really uh, move towards peace and just really ending war and, and then really gathering world leaders and really focusing on topics that should be more important, you know, that impact, have a really positive impact if we are successful. Yeah. We'll do things like you said, like curing AIDS and cancer. I mean, those are things that you would hope like that world leaders would be able to come together and, and try to solve, uh, you know, are, are there advancements being made in that area that make you believe that, that like doing like curing AIDS within the first 100 days and then focusing on curing cancer? Like are there, there are hopeful advancements in those areas that you see? Uh, yeah. Uh, in HIV, yes. Um, and, but we, right now we're having issues and this is go back to the libertarian ideas, you know, should we abolish the FDA, right? Topics like that. And the, the answer is yes. I think when pregnant women were taking, you know, nausea medication and having birth defects, yeah, there was a necessity for the FDA to be created to deal with those issues. But now a lot of companies have systems in, in place to really do a good job. The FDA doesn't really, the FDA doesn't really need to be involved. And so at my scientist hat, I'm going, what's going on here? Let's get this done. We don't need to wait a decade because this company's fighting and getting, giving, you know, political donations to senators and trying to stop disadvancement. Like, no, 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 no. We need to let these companies do what they do best and let the doctors work with their, you know, you know, their patients and, and see what, what's good for them, you know, not the FDA meddling with, um, you know, cause it just artificially increases the cost on everything. And right. so when you, you hire a libertarian, you're, you're fixing a lot of issues right off the bat. So dealing with these issues within a hundred days, it's very possible. Mm. Yeah, it would be, it would be really nice if we could, you know, just get the government out of that entire process. And like you said, just give them the freedom to let them do, you know, what they're already doing. Um, yeah, being, being able to do something like cure AIDS or cancer would be, I mean, it'd be, it'd be miraculous. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I don't want to keep you, uh, you know, too long on here, man. I've, I've, I have really enjoyed having you on. You know, we covered a lot of different topics and I'm, I'm going to be super excited to see like, you know, just where your campaign goes. Uh, definitely going to be um, listening to that forum. When was that again? February something with Larry Sharp? Yeah, yeah. One of the, yeah, I think, I think it's the 16th, but, you know, definitely uh, we'll confirm that. Where, where can people find you? You go ahead and throw out, you know, websites, social media handles, all of it.
Dude, it was awesome, man. And, uh, you know, whatever happens, don't don't get too famous not to, you know, come back on the show here, you know, down the line and uh, give us a little update on how everything's going. 